Welcome to Deed and Truth, a podcast exploring loving God and loving our neighbors, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the source and standard of truth. I'm your host, Tommy Morris, and joining me once again in the studio is Andy Crumpler. Yay. Yay. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. I think I have a button over here that'll do it. Hold on. There you go. That's pretty funny. <laughs> All right. So, Andy, just uh, to recap, Andy is one of the pastors at Live Oak Church in Navarre, which is where I attend, and is a great counselor. And he's going to bring some of that to us today as we talk about parenting. So, this is like me getting free advice by having you on the podcast. <laughs> so. Well, there you go. All right. So, how things been going lately? Doing well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ready for the holidays? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and all of my work, yeah. you know, I, I've purchased thousands of gifts and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's because you have like a bunch of kids. Well, I, well, I have absolutely no idea what anybody's getting. <laughs> so. Oh, you said you've purchased. You haven't picked out. Yes. My <laughs> kids' Christmas morning is just as much of a surprise for me as it is for them. <laughs> but I have a wonderful wife. That's awesome. <laughs> And nice. my kids are very grateful I'm married because they would probably get nothing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They'd all get budget apps. <laughs> I downloaded a budget app on your phone. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I'm going to give you 20 hours of free budget counseling. Yes. Nice. Nice. So Andy does have, you know, a, a few kids. Four or five? Five, right? It's five kids, five. yes. Yeah. You remember that, right? I do remember. <laughs> okay. I even know their birth dates. It's amazing. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. So so Andy has done this parenting thing uh, for a while now and is going to share some of the things that he's has learned over time. A lot of people have questions about raising kids in, in a way that uh, is godly, that honors God. And we all want to see our kids come to Christ and... You know, a lot of times we can put pressure on ourselves. So I want to pick your brain for, for what you've learned over the years, both in your own personal experience and in counseling uh, numerous couples and families, starting from the beginning, the pressures that we initially feel right out of the gate when, when we have a new baby. And now we have this new responsibility thrust upon us to, uh, to raise this child up in a way that honors God. So... Maybe share a little bit of your thoughts for maybe brand new parents. Well, our our oldest is Ashley, and she's 24 years old, and we married her off this year. But it's a huge responsibility, and when you first bring a child home, you're convinced you're going to break them and destroy them <laughs> and ruin them with every harsh word. And I think that in so many ways, it's sort of a learning experience, a learning environment for parenting your first child. But... We did, uh, we tried to do everything perfectly and we tried to follow all the books and tried to make sure we always were consistent. And you realize shortly that you can't hurt this child just by being careless, but there are some responsibilities that we need to take very seriously in our parenting. So we began with the idea that we wanted our kids to know God and we had some very good counsel when we first had a child from one of our pastor's wives who simply said, never let them win. And that was her advice to us. And I found that to be just very wise advice to never let your child win. And what she meant by that was to be consistent, do what you say you're going to do, 
and make sure that if you make a rule that you enforce it. Now, there were a lot of times early on in the formative years of my children when I would say no to something and then instantly regret it because I knew that I would spend the rest of the evening enforcing a rule <laughs> that really didn't matter much. Yeah. So, But it was important to us that we were consistent and that we did what we said we were going to do. I can distinctly remember my kids loved to spend time at my parents' house growing up. And I, I remember one specific day when we were over there and I heard my mom say, don't jump on the bed. Now, my mom didn't care if they jumped on the bed. My mom made that rule because she thought it was our rule and it was our rule. Our rule was don't jump on the furniture at home. But the kids were in there jumping on the bed. And I said, well, they're in there jumping on the bed. And she said, oh, it's not going to hurt anything. And I just said, mom, listen, I don't care if you let them jump on your bed. I don't care if you let them jump on your refrigerator and your couch and your TV. I don't care. What I do care is that you don't make rules that you won't enforce. Because I think that is what is important. That's what gives structure to our children is to know that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. Now, that will cause you to seriously evaluate what rules you put in place because you know you might spend the rest of your day enforcing them. So I can distinctly remember telling one of my small children not to get out of bed. And of course, this particular child made it his mission to get out of bed at every chance possible. And I spent the rest of my evening sitting in front of his bedroom door to again tell him to get back in bed. So I just never made that rule again. So that brings up an interesting point that I, I did want to ask you. So as you know, so we have a four and a half year old. So we're out of the baby phase and into her apparently going to law school or something soon because the way she argues <laughs> is like a lawyer. But, you know, she's starting to kind of push the boundaries of, of trying to, f you know, figure out where her independence lies and what she can do on her own and all these things. And, and I know that's one of the things that you've talked to Helena and I about was don't let her win, right? But the point you just made about, ah, never made that rule again because you had to sit in front of that door. How often do you see that being an issue in following through with rules is that as parents, we make a rule, we go to enforce the rule, we realize said rule inconveniences us. So now we no longer want to enforce the rule merely because it's an inconvenience to us and our schedule and things we want to do. Yeah, I think it's important to ask yourselves and to talk as a as a couple, how important are these rules and what is the purpose of these rules? As we added children and they quickly outnumbered us, we decided that we'd have to take a different tactic. And I'm just kidding about that. The tactic <laughs> was the same. But we made fewer rules and tried to focus on the rules that are very important. So we quickly began to understand that our job was to help our children to know God by the way that we interacted with them. So we wanted them to understand righteousness. We wanted them to be able to see repentance within us. We wanted them to be able to see that we honored God's word. We wanted them to know that uh, we love Jesus and that impacts our life and causes us to live differently. Um, there are a lot of people who go to church and talk about loving Jesus, but their home life is so chaotic and so uh, difficult for children that children can reject the gospel because of a bad witness by their parents. I think that we seriously underestimate our influence in our children's lives. Everything from a harsh word can do damage for years, particularly to girls. 
the boys, they don't care. <laughs> but, you know, from a harsh word to inconsistency to seeing us act in sinful ways, seeing us argue with our spouse in ways that aren't honoring to God and do not demonstrate love, those things can really damage a child and their impression of, of who God is and who the church is called to be. So we tried to make it our goal to love Jesus and to be consistent in the way that we acted and responded. For instance, when we would sin and when we would mess up, we would always try to be quick to tell our children, we're very sorry, that is not the way um, that Jesus would have us act. That's not what we're called to. And so we'd be quick to apologize to our kids. That's good. I was actually going to ask that. Like, My thought was how difficult it is for some parents out there to think about asking forgiveness you know, to your kids, right? Sometimes it's when you're the authority figure, sometimes it can feel weird that you're the one asking forgiveness, but it's still important. It's still showing them repentance and brokenness and, and the character of God. Yeah, absolutely. We don't need to be CEOs on power trips with our children. Our children need to see us struggling in our own walk with the Lord and need to see a genuineness there that says, I love Jesus because I love Jesus. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to parent differently. I want our house to look different than other places. So during those formative years of the will, you know, I would say up to age six or so, when you really still have some opportunity to mold and to shape uh, their determination and just the foundation that they're going to live with, it's good to set boundaries and rules and to say, here are the things that we don't do as a family. Here are the things that we you know, this is what we're asking of you. This is our expectation. And it's okay to be more authoritative in that time. But then as our kids grow older, we're helping them to transition to adulthood, which means we have less authoritative presentation and more of a learning, teaching, discipling presentation, where we're helping our kids to accept responsibility for their lives. And we're helping our kids in accepting that responsibility to understand that there's natural consequences when they refuse to do the things that they're required to do. All right, so let's let's dig into that a little bit more. So let's say, so I have a 15, I'm on the spectrum mm-hmm. of, of, of ages here, I have a 15-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old. So, <laughs> so the two categories you just brought up, I have one of each. And with, so let's go back. So we, we talked about that pressure we feel when they're first born. So let's go to you know, my daughter's age at four-and-a-half, mm-hmm. and we they're starting to understand, they can memorize um, Mia can come back and and she can discuss what was shared uh, in children's church or Mm -hmm. something that she heard in the sermon. She she understands who Jesus is. She can tell some of the Bible stories. So as parents and and our kids are coming to ages ages of understanding these things, how do we start to incorporate, say, a family devotional time. Like this is something that I came to you about a while ago because I felt this pressure (laughs) even in my mind of what it should be and, and all of these things. So I just want you to share uh, some of your thoughts and some of the things you shared with me uh, about that. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it's always important to spend some time showing your children that you honor God's word. And we do that by reading it, by presenting it to them, by explaining it to them. I think over the years, we've gone through cycles of it needing to be something big to times where we've gone, you know, weeks and weeks without even praying together as a family. We've experienced both ends of the spectrum with the busyness of life and kids being everywhere and you want things to be perfect. So you're like waiting for everybody to be home on the same night. And and we just realize that if we wait for all that stuff to happen perfectly, 
then we're never going to spend any time in the Word because everybody's just going in many different directions. So what we wanted to do is to be more simple. And so there have been times in our raising our kids that we have had a simple prayer, that we've taken time to study books of the Bible. We've, we've gone through a course just on allowing grace to rule our hearts. We've watched YouTube videos. We've seen extended Bible studies. We've shown them John Piper series. We've, you know, we've done a lot of different things, but what we realize is the most important thing we do in discipling our kids is helping them to apply God's truth to their daily life. And a lot of that just happens in our our conversations when they're sad. A lot of that happens in, you know, what happened at night when they're getting ready for bed and they're getting vulnerable and telling us things that are bothering them. A lot of it happens in just teaching them about life when they when they go to work and experience difficult circumstances. You know, those things, those opportunities are there all the time. And when we're spending time with our kids and spending time with our family, we are able to insert that discipleship in a real time in, in real life. And I, I've seen some of the greatest rewards for my own children just from that kind of discipleship and those kind of talks. And I think I've also heard you and Stephen C. both talk about, even in the discipline time, bringing it back to what that action or disobedience or whatever it is uh, looks like in relation to the character of God and the Word of God. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's very important um, in those correct times of correction that we are giving them the why. And then the older they are, the more important it is that we're giving them the why. Our kids have come to points in their life where they're having to make decisions on their own that impact a lot of different areas of life. And so we've had to take a hands-off approach of being, well, here's going to be the consequences if you choose to make this decision, but it's your decision to make. And so that's a, that's a hard part of life as a parent to be in that situation because you want what's best for your kids. Many times you can see what's best for your kids and even they can't. And so it gets very difficult at times to let them fail and let them experience consequences. But if we can allow them to experience consequences when the stakes are not high, then they hopefully will make better decisions when the stakes are high. We had talked when we first talked about doing an episode on parenting, you had talked about that difference between kind of micromanaging your kid's life, right? Like you don't want to see them fail. You don't want to see them get hurt. So you're kind of always there as the protector and the fixer and all of these things and, and how you need to learn to help them grow, right? Not, not to always protect them, but to help them grow through some of those hard times, not necessarily keep them from that. And I think that probably is something that starts at an early age, right? We, mm-hmm. we can become very overprotective in those early years of not wanting to see them get hurt. And then we just never kind of grow out of that as they grow up. Yeah. And we can so shelter and protect our kids and make excuses for our kids and not hold our kids' uh, feet to the line of obedience that our kids begin to believe there's no consequences for bad decisions. And many times I, I see that probably is the, one of the biggest mistakes that parents make is they try to um, help their kids through things that should be their, their own kids' responsibilities. I'm talking about, you know, sixth graders who 
the parents do the work for them so they can get a good grade at school because the kid won't do the work. Well, you know, that's you it's hard for us to see the the lasting consequences of that kind of parenting um, until they're 23 and in prison somewhere. You know, that's usually when we wake up and go, what, what, you know, why do they think there's no consequences for this? Oh, yeah, that's because I didn't allow them to experience any consequences. So it's a difficult transition from childhood to adulthood. And every one of our kids have different personalities and different quirks and different likes and dislikes. And so for all of our kids, it has been a different path that we've tried to lead and guide them on to adulthood because some kids are more mature and they're ready for that transition earlier and other kids are are less mature or want to stay a child so they transition later as parents we have just prayed for wisdom that god would allow us to be able to understand each child and know how to transition them properly one of the examples i like to use cuz it it's a lot of work that's a lot of work parenting and i think that most parents want their kids to be great adults, but a lot of parents are too lazy to do the work to help them become great adults. It requires a lot of mental work to try to do what's best for your children. One of the problems we were having with several of our younger kids was just bedtime. Bedtime was a horrific event when they're you know 12 and 14 and you know, when they're young enough, they need their sleep, but they're old enough that they should be doing everything on their own. And every night was a fight. And every night was us listing this laundry list of items they should have done before they go to bed. Did you wash your face? Did you uh, brush your teeth? Did you get all your stuff together for school the next day? Did you, did you, did you, did you? And uh, it was just exhausting. And every night, and I would just dread bedtime every night because it would be this fight and it would be 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. One time I just said, you know what? I told Amanda, I said, we're going to do, we got to do things differently. I said, this is what I think we should do. And I brought the kids in the next night and I said, all right, well, you know, Bethany, your bedtime is, is nine and Micah, your bedtime is nine fifteen, and Noah, your bedtime is nine thirty. You have to be in bed with the lights off at that time. I said, that means and I listed the laundry list that we list every night. These things all have to be done. Now, if you're not in bed at that time with these things done, then you will go to bed 15 minutes earlier the next night. Well, that was a huge thing, you know. They're like, I don't want to go to I don't even want to go to bed at the time I have now. I certainly don't want to go 15 minutes earlier. So, you know, they begin to do that on their own and then you got you always have the one, and I won't list the one, but you always have the one who you know says, who, you are. <laughs> "Who says? Well, I've already got my fifteen-minute penalty. I might as well stay up four more hours." So then it became, "Well, for every minute over, you got another five minutes off the bedtime the next night." Well, then that began to motivate them better. So sometimes you have to the really think through these things because they will find the loopholes. They're little attorneys that are always going to be, you know, looking for the loopholes. But just having that rule revolutionized our life because we were teaching them, this is your responsibility. Should you choose not to do this, then you pay the consequences. And that was far better than us accepting the responsibility of telling them to go do all these things every night, which was just a miserable experience. 
So as yeah. parents, we're transitioning responsibility to our kids. And if our kids are not, and we, we do that by giving them consequences that, that are safe consequences, but consequences that also speak to the need. So our consequences of making our kids go to bed earlier the next night totally rob them of the joy of staying up late. So they just began to do it. And I remember probably two weeks into that, our fourth child, he was probably 13 at the time or 12. And he said, hey, dad, thanks for doing that. It's so nice to have peace and so in the house. And it's so nice to, to know that it's my responsibility and I can do it when I want to do it. And I don't have to do it when you guys are saying to do it. And that was just really good. I mean, it was affirming to hear him say that. Yeah, that is good because, so you were saying earlier about, we, you know, we want our kids to become successful adults. And so you're viewing that as I'm preparing them essentially with life skills, right? That's going, they're going to be able to take what you're teaching them in this specific lesson. And that's going to apply to other things in their life when they get out on their own and they're paying bills and responsibilities and getting to work on time, things like that. You know, and I, and I think some parents would say, well, yeah, I want my kid to be a successful adult. That's why I'm trying to do these things to make sure they get the good grades and all of these things. And I think that's the problem is our definition of success maybe is off. We view getting the straight A's and all the sports lessons and everything else as the thing that's going to make them a successful adult. And the problem is we're not spending the time to build the character of God, to put the word of God in them, to show them responsibility. You know, we're, we're putting all of the success on really these temporal earthly things. Yeah. You know, in all the, all the years that I've been in churches with all these people and I, I've never had anybody ask me what my grade point average was. I've never had anybody <laughs> ask me what the balance of my 401k is. I've never had anybody ask me what I did at first athletic accomplishments. None of that stuff ever comes up, but every single day, my character affects people around me. And so I think that the, the investment that we need to be making is in the character of our children. And we can do that by teaching them that when, that when we reflect Jesus in our daily life, when we live our life for the sake of others, when we honor God, it makes the world around us a better place. And as parents, we are the primary influencers in those, even in our teens' life who seem to be very peer-oriented. Make no mistake about it. Our words carry a great amount of weight. And if we're willing to encourage our children, to forgive our children, to believe in our children, to speak life into our children, then we can see incredible changes made in their character and in their influence in the world around them. And they learn early on through us what priorities are and what things to value. So one of the the things uh, Vody Bauckham in his book, Family Driven Faith, he talks about that. He talks about parents who constantly pushing the straight A's, constantly pushing the straight A's, and you have to do this. And then it's the, you have to get the, the sports scholarship and stuff, and it, it's, it's going to be successful. And even though we know that such a minute percentage actually ever make it pro to make the millions, uh, it still can, it can still get free education for college. But that education, that college, and the, the academics, and the athletics, and all of these extracurriculars all become the priority. So to the point that you'll start to see us skipping out on church because, well, we have sports tournament, or we, we need to study more, and we need to do that, and we need to do this. And then, you know, we think, well, I'll send my kid to youth group for an hour 
on Sunday night or Wednesday night, but we'll skip all the other services, or maybe they'll go to youth once a month. And we want the youth leader to be the one to pour all of the God stuff in them while we're over here managing their career already, right? right. For middle school. Or their agent. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, you know, Vody Bachman, what he points out when he talks about th- these parents doing these things, he said those are the same parents that he would see that when the kid goes off to college, they quit going to church and the parents go, I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Why, why is my baby, how, how can they quit church? I raised them in church. You know, and what he says is, well, you've shown them throughout the years that church isn't a priority. God isn't a priority. Their sports, their social life, their academics, those are all priority. And they learn that early on. So we shouldn't, if we would take a true inventory of what we're presenting to them as, as what's valuable from, from me at four and a half, from even earlier than that, all the way through to when they graduate, then we shouldn't be surprised when, when we see how they respond to things like that once they're off on their own. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of times in our parenting, we use Jesus as a, as a baseball bat. We use Jesus and say, well, God wouldn't like that. And I, me- I remember we went to pick up our son from nursery, and uh, the lady working it was just mortified. And I was like, oh, no, what'd he do? And um, it was Noah, and he was two years old. <laughs> And so we were picking him up, and I, and I said, what's wrong? And she said, he said he hates God. And I said, okay, well, what's the context of what's going on here? And she said, well, I told him that he needed to pick up his toys, and he said no. And she said, well, God would not be very happy with you. And he said, well, I hate God. And I said, okay, well, you know, you're using God as a tool to get him to, to manipulate him to doing something and that's something we never tried to do as parents. God is not a means to having a happy life. God is not a means to making good grades. God is not a means to find favor in your sports. God is God, and he is a, a sufficient, all-sustaining, all-satisfying God. And so in our parenting, we tried to never use God as a tool or a lucky charm to be able to get something of greater value We've tried to make sure that our kids understand in our own life that God is the greatest value, that God is the most important, that God is the thing that we are pursuing, that all of those other things are outcroppings of that, and we should pursue excellence because of who God is, not use God to become excellent in some area of life. And it was a, it's a very small distinction, but it's one, I think, that can really make the difference in how a, a kid sees the Lord and how a kid whether or not a kid is using God as a stepping stone to get to places of, that he wants to be, or whether somebody is really pursuing God for the sake of saying, God is my treasure, yeah, that Jesus I, is everything that I want. Yeah, I think it also shapes the view of salvation, because I yeah. think that that kind of using God, like you say, as a baseball bat to beat your kid into submission, also creates a, a mindset of a works-based salvation, that yeah. we have to do X, Y, Z, perform X, Y, Z, act X, Y, Z to receive God's favor, to receive his salvation, his forgiveness. It's all of me conforming in my actions uh, and nothing about the relationship and the heart of, of surrender to Christ. Yeah. The Bible holds forth Jesus as ultimately beautiful and all-satisfying. We come to Jesus because Jesus is God. We come to Jesus because he is what satisfies us. Though all things may fail, <laughs> though everything else in life may fall apart, it's really about him. And it's about it's about honoring him because we love him, not to appease him, 
try to make him happy or to keep from making him angry, <laughs> you know, to, well, I'll, I'll obey just because I want to stave off his wrath. You know, it's, right. it's not about that. All right. So what other pearls of wisdom do you have <laughs> as, uh, as you have some who have recently, like you say, your oldest is married and, and, uh, you have others who are getting of age to, uh, transition out i mean you're what four or five years away from maybe being an empty nester if you can get them all to move out well i don't even <laughs> think that way yeah because that may never happen i don't know <laughs> so what are the pearls of wisdom for for the later years as they grow and they are are going out what other pearls of wisdom do you have to share in uh and just helping to, to continue that as they're moving out and, and getting out on their own to continue that uh, focus of pointing them to christ you know, as they're young, you're the authoritarian, and as they grow, you become the discipler. And then parenting adults, I think, has been a particularly difficult thing for us, just because you're having to watch kid, your kids experience the consequences for their decisions. And I'm thankful that my kids have not experienced consequences that have been horrific, you know, but you you do have to stand by while they experiment with unwise decisions. You know, selecting who they're who they're going to spend their time with. You know, from friends to uh, boyfriends, girlfriends, where they're going to choose to work, and whether or not that's a wise environment. That you are really taking the stance as an advisor and as a cheerleader and as a prophet to warn them, but. At the end, you're you're very hands off as an adult, and we try not to overly interfere in our adult kids' lives. But we love our children, and we want to provide that safe place to come back to, to provide that wise counsel on the phone, and you know we try to make sure that all of that is centered on what is best for them and what honors God. And sometimes you, I think, are tempted to center that on what I want, and they're no longer under your control or care or, you know, you're not making provisions for them anymore. So you really are taking more of, of a advisor role in their life. And that can be difficult, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard enough, I guess, as once they get into like high school age. But like you say, I mean, there's still some level of the authoritarian there because yeah. they're still under your roof. You Like you said, you're still providing for them. But once they're out on their own... Uh, there's not much you can do to kind of swoop in and change things. I mean, they're adults, they make their own decisions and, and they live by that. And yeah, as you say, you just advise them uh, with biblical counsel as, as best you can. Well, and we've, we've told all of our adult children that, you know, we're happy to help you. We're happy to have you live here, but we want to know that you have a plan for becoming independent. So what is your plan for becoming independent? And we're not going to throw our kids out of the house. We're not going to make them move under a bridge. Though I do threaten one of them very often with, you need to go live <laughs> under a bridge. But, you know, just to be able to say, where are you going and how can we help you get there? And this is a difficult time because if a kid wants to stay in this area, you know, the rental prices are incredible and there's nothing available. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a unique time in our, just in our particular community but we still want to be there to, to help them, but we want to move them toward independence. One of the things that I tell my children probably more than anything else is that with freedom comes responsibility. So a lot of, particularly teenagers, want lots of freedom and no responsibility. But freedom always has the price of responsibility. So if 
my kids want to do whatever they want to do when they want to do it, then they can move out and be responsible for all their bills. If they want to live in my house, then there's some expectations and some things that they have to live by. One of the rules we have is that if you're an adult in the house, you need to be you need to help. You need to help with chores. You need to help make life easier for the family because you're an adult in that house. Yes, we do have a responsibility to house our kids until they turn 18, but we also need to remember to let them know that responsibility is a part of that. Are are there any scriptures that you'd like to share that have been an encouragement or something that you've kind of leaned on or shared with other parents that have been very helpful? You know, a lot of my parenting verses that I share with my own kids are just about treasuring Jesus, just about the importance of, of making sure that your satisfaction is being found in Him. And so I love the parable of Matthew ten forty four, where it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and a man found it. He buried it, when in, in his joy, the Bible says, sold everything that he owned so that he could buy that field. And wanting my kids to meditate on the fact that Jesus himself declares that he is the greatest treasure, that he is the satisfaction of our souls, that all of the things that we long for and look for and and strive for in life, they're really tied up in him. If we want to be healthy adults, then we find our satisfaction in Jesus so that we are able to pour our lives out for others. And until we find that satisfaction in Jesus, we will constantly search for that satisfaction in others and the approval of others and the love of others and the money that others can give us. But all of those things are dead end roads. So the other verse that we have spent a lot of time with is Philippians 4.8 that says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, it's so important, particularly in this day and age, to make sure that as believers, we are focusing on things that honor God. And so I have shared that many times with my own kids, just to say, are you thinking on things that are honoring? Are you thinking on things that, that God would think on? These, this is where you need to, to spend your time. You know, and those bleed into all of the other verses on rejoice and rejoice always and uh, be thankful in all things that if we are dwelling on that which is good, we are able to be more grateful for all that comes our way. Those are good because I think it's uh, the same way you're talking earlier about not using God as a baseball bat, you know, the same thing with scripture, right? It's, yeah, I think it's important not to try to pull scriptures as tools of manipulation for said behaviors that, you know, we're desiring out of our kids, but to utilize scriptures that point back to, as you said, Jesus being the ultimate treasure and that he is who we desire and that that is what we are living for, who we are living for. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time in Hebrews 11 as well, just looking at the lives of people who believed God and they believed God in such a way that they lived differently while they were on earth. And uh, some of my favorite verses in that chapter are the fact that they all died without receiving the things promised. That verse that, that says they all died in Hebrews eleven thirteen. these all died in faith, not having received the, th- the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar 
and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And I think of the kind of life that we live that God would say of us that God is not ashamed to be called our God. God is not ashamed of us to wear his name. And he describes that of people who kept their focus on eternity while living righteously on earth. That's really good. So we kind of started the conversation with the pressures that we feel when we first have a kid. And that pressure never fully goes away. And I think one of the one of the biggest pressures we can put on ourselves is how we do teach and train our kids up. And and so I just want to encourage everybody out there when it comes to thinking about like family devotions and how to teach your kids the word, some things that, that you shared with me, because I, I was in my head about it. And a lot of people out there, you know, who may be listening to this or thinking, I, I need a plan, right? Mm-hmm. All right, all right, I'm going to do better. I'm going to, I'm going to do better at this. And so I need to implement something. And, and it's very easy to get inside your own head about it and think about what it has to be. And I wanted this devotion time to be this official thing. And, and, and the one thing that I want to share with everybody else is what you shared with me. And you kind of touched on it earlier is one, just get started. Yeah. If it's as simple as just saying, prayers together a short prayer just just keep it simple at first just just get the ball rolling you know start doing something share one verse you told me that just you don't have to sit down and do 15 or 30 minutes share one verse and talk about it for a few minutes and the thing that was important was because at four years old <laughs> Mia's attention span is not very long and mm. so to sit down and try to do a 30 minute lesson uh 25 of that is going to be trying to hurt cats so it just it became very freeing to know that we can just do something. Uh, and even after a while, as she got more accustomed to it, then she would sit in color and we would talk. And she's there. She's still able to hear us discussing scripture and discussing the character of God. Uh, but there wasn't this pressure for her to to sit like it's a Sunday school class and we're doing this lesson and, hey, there's going to be a test later. Make sure you take notes. So that took a lot of pressure off. And so I just want to encourage people, just don't feel like you have to have this official thing. It has to be long or drawn out or has to be like a Sunday school lesson or a sermon. Uh, it can be very simple. The important thing is is to do something. And as the kids grow, like you say, uh, you know, things change over time. Yeah. And, and the way that you disciple your kids will change as they get older, as their understanding grows. And then you can start to have, you know, some different types of, of discipleship and devotional time. So uh, just be encouraged by that. Yeah, God's word is very important. Prayer is very important. But all of that is robbed of meaning if mom and dad don't fight well. <laughs> if mom and dad continually get disgusted with one another over the budget if you're harsh in your parenting without reason my point and i hope what we're getting across is that the bible is very important your kids need to see that you love it but they more than that need to see that you honor it by obeying it and we can undo hours and hours and hours and years of bible study and devotion by our attitudes and our actions before our kids so We need to be our kids' encourager. We need to model to our children that Jesus Christ has made a difference in our life. And uh, in doing that, 
I think those kids are the ones that end up loving Jesus because they saw that it made a real difference in their parents' lives. That's good. So somebody actually, I, I screenshot this this tweet from someone the other day. They're not on my friend list. I'm not sure who they are, but uh, someone I know liked it, so it showed up on my feed. Um, but the guy brought up Ezra 710. Uh, it says, now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. And he just brought up, notice the order, study, obey, and teach. And so that's something that, that stood out to me. And, and as you're saying it now, you know, we, we can study it. And it's important to teach our kids that. But there is that obedience element. There is that element of living it out before them and letting them see that you are obedient to God's Word and that you are applying it in your own life as you are also teaching it. You're teaching, you're teaching a lot by what you do yeah. compared to what you say. Absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts? No, I mean, I got thoughts all day long, but <laughs> this podcast probably needs to come to an end. <laughs> all right, Andy, well, thank you for joining us again. Appreciate Thanks for having it. me. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check us out every Monday for a new episode as I have a new guest in here to talk about loving God and loving our neighbors. Also, be sure to check us out for Freestyle Friday as we talk with our guests just about what God's been doing in their life lately. You can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends. You can connect with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at deed underscore truth and on Facebook and YouTube by searching the Deed and Truth Podcast. You can also check out our website at deedandtruthpodcast.com where you can check out the latest episode, connect with us, send us a message, or even leave us a voicemail. All right, well, thanks for listening, and until next time.